You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God's Word is to us as victorious Christians. God's Word is a lamp unto our feet, a guide to our path. God's Word shows us how to live, shows us the way God would want us to live. God's Word defines God's character and shows us His love and shows us everything we need to know about life and godliness. It shows us about our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. You've heard it before. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And we see this all through God's Word. In times of abundance, it's crucial to keep your eyes on Christ. It's in those times that the inevitable bump in the road is on its way. When that occurs, you'll be strong enough in the Lord to lean on Him. Today, Pastor Dave reminds you to keep Jesus at the center of your life. Place Him and His Word as the rock you stand on. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Joshua chapter 9. As he begins his message, They sought not the counsel of God. You are Joshua chapter 9. So far, as we've come from chapter 1 through chapter 8 in this great book of Joshua, we found that it's been up and down. There's been victories and there's been defeat. Sounds a little bit like maybe your Christian life. Victories, defeat. But imagine 40 years wandering in the wilderness, 40 years wandering, being provided for by God, manna from heaven, quail, shoes never wearing out, sandals never wearing out, clothes never wearing out, always having water to drink in a desert place. Imagine the provisions of God. But yet, all of the elders dying off because of unbelief. All of the elders going on. When they came to the promised land, God brings them into the promised land in Tremendous, wonderful fashion. It's the most wonderful miracle some of these eyes have seen. The majority of them weren't around for the Red Sea. They heard of it. They believed it because their fathers told them so. But now with their own eyes, they see the priest with the Ark of the Covenant go into the water. And as soon as they step into the water, the water stops. And they are standing on dry land. And these millions upon millions of people cross over into a land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A land that was promised hundreds of years ago. A land that God said would be flowing with milk and honey. A land that God said would be theirs by inheritance. Why? Because he loved them. Because they were his children. They were his chosen ones. God chose them and called them into his own And he told them time and time again, I will be your God and you will be my people. The Lord, after they got into the promised land, wanted to bring Israel into a deeper relationship with him. He wanted to change the relationship that they had into a spiritual relationship. He wanted them to relate to him in a spiritual way. He made them build stones and memorials to what had happened 
so that they would always be able to tell their children what the Lord had done for them as they were crossing. It was important that they built these altars. And they built two. One in the exact place in the middle of the river where they crossed. And they built another one on the dry land around Gilgal, their camp. They built these memorials to him. Next thing God wanted them to do is he wanted the men to circumcise themselves so that they could renew the covenant with God, the covenant that God had made with Abraham. The covenant of circumcision, defining them as a special people. And although it was an outward sign, we know from Scripture it was supposed to be an inward sign. The circumcision alone was not going to save them. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, the circumcision was an outward sign, an outward sign of the covenant. It was supposed to be a a circumcision of the heart, cutting away the fleshly part of the heart to deal with God now on a spiritual level. But they did this. Each one of them did this. And because they did that, God rolled away their reproach. God rolled away the reproach that they have, the bondage that they had been in for so long, the reproach that the entire nation felt was rolled away. And because of that, they then celebrated for the first time in 40 years the Passover, God's feast of remembrance, remembering what he did for them in Egypt, remembering the plagues, remembering the bondage, remembering the tears, but also remembering the freedom that they've been given the freedom that they had. There was great jubilation in the nation. Great jubilation and cheering. Joshua goes off and he looks He looks yonder to Jericho, their first formidable opponent, and he meets someone. We're told it was the commander of the army of the Lord. We believe it to be none other than Jesus Christ himself. They call it a theophany and some places call it an epiphany. But it was a pre-incarnation of Christ who spoke to him who gave him the plans for this great military victory that would take place. Joshua and the men of Israel followed the plans of the Lord to the letter, marched around the city once each day for six days. The Ark of the Covenant going forth. The band, the horns blowing. But the men and the women were completely silent. Then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And when the horns were blown again, the whole Millions of people shouted, and the walls fell. The walls collapsed, just as God said they would. A miracle resulted in a tremendous victory. A tremendous victory that resounded through the entire land. A victory that would be spoken about for everybody in the land to fear. There was great tribulation. Great partying. Partied hardy that night. But there was a problem. Sin had entered the camp. Sin had entered the camp. Someone had taken of the accursed things that God said, don't take of. Someone took of those things. They set out the next day or the next time to take Ai. They didn't seek the Lord. They didn't seek for his counsel, for they were strong and they were mighty. They had won a great battle and pride got a hold of them. They were self-confident. They didn't need prayer. They didn't even know all the men, so they sent up 3,000 guys who were sorely defeated, and 36 of them died. 36 of them lost their life. They came home, and they couldn't understand why. Joshua fell before the Lord and said, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us here? The Lord said, there's sin in the camp. Israel sinned. Someone took of the accursed things. You know what they did. 
They went through and they found out Achan and his family. But they dealt with the sin. They dealt with it according to God's law. And after dealing with the sin, the Lord then directed them to a great victory at Ai. Another wonderful victory. They took the town. They took the whole town. Once again, they were victorious. After this, they built an altar. They built an altar to God. And they celebrated building the altar of God by reading God's commands, reading God's word. Oh, how important God's word is to us as victorious Christians. God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a guide to our path. God's word shows us how to live, shows us the way God would want us to live. God's word defines God's character and shows us his love and shows us everything we need to know about life and godliness. It shows us about our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. You've heard it before. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And we see this all through God's Word. They had God's Word. And by reading God's Word, it became an appropriate act of worship. It became an appropriate act of consecration before the Lord. God got the glory for this great victory. And this is how we as victorious Christians should live. God always getting the glory. Always getting the victory. Always getting the praise that he so well deserved for everything that happens in our life. That's how the victorious Christian lives. Giving God all praise. They made an altar that didn't even have carvings on it so that men wouldn't get the glory, but that everything was given to God. This was an act of obedience as Joshua becomes a man of the book, God's word. And he obeys the command from Joshua 1. You remember it? We read it several times. Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. But you shall meditate in it day and night, and you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Right there, the key to the victorious life, the key to victorious living as a Christian, being a student of God's word. Joshua is a great leader. He gets Israel to be a nation of the book. He gets Israel to be a nation of the book. And that's a good leader's job. Our job is to get you to get into the book. That's what I like about these studies. These studies are just little appetite wetters. And I say things. I don't say a lot of things in detail sometimes purposely. So that you will start reading it for yourself and allowing the Lord to speak to you individually. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to speak to you individually. But we need to be people of the book. We need people of God's word. The victorious Christian are people of the book. To become a people of the book, you have to read it, study it, allow it to become part of your life. And why do we do that? It's simple. Paul tells the young Timothy, who's a pastor in the church of Ephesus, he writes to him and he speaks about that in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. You know the verse, but I'll read it to you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Christian, this is the victorious life. This is how the victorious life becomes ours. We need to be people of the book. We need to be known as people of the book. So the Israelites are beginning to celebrate once again Another glorious victory. AI has fallen. Woo! Two down. How many to go? We're on a roll now. The Lord was working mightily in their midst. Things were happening. 
Things were really happening. They really felt the Lord's presence. Have you ever felt that way? Has everything been going like, this is great. Everything's going the way it's supposed to be going. I am so blessed by the Lord. Things are really happening. The Lord's doing this. The Lord is doing that. He's showing up here. He's showing up there. This is wonderful. I'm studying his word. Buckle up. Buckle up. Because that's when Satan says, okay, I'm going to change tactics. I'm going to try something different this time. He never tries anything really different, but it looks different. And that's what's happening in chapter 9. Satan now is trying something different. He's trying something different. The victorious Christian must never think the war is over even after we've won a battle or two. Wars consist of many battles. We know in our heart that on the cross, the war was won. The war was won on the cross. The war is finished, complete. We have complete victory. Remember what the Lord said to Joshua? Every place you put the sole of your foot, every place you go, I have given it to you. Joshua, that war is over. But they had to claim every part. They had to go in and they had to claim every single battle. They had to go for it. That's what's happening here. The victorious Christian cannot rest on your laurels. We cannot rest on our laurels. We've talked about that before. Even though the enemy, our enemy, he knows he's defeated. He knows he's defeated, but he's going to continue to do his sly tactics to derail us and to keep us from resting in that final victory that the cross gave us. And if he can get you all fidgety and all crazy and all upset and not resting in the Lord, he's happy because someone won't see that witness. Someone will look at you and give you the old, you call yourself a Christian. He's going to apply this. So that's what we see here. Every victory we achieve through the Lord is an invitation for the enemy for another full-scale attack. And that's what I see this week in chapter 9 of Joshua. That's what I see. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. All that to get to verses 1 and 2, huh? Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills, in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So this is the first tactic that we see Satan now using. What is so unusual about that? What do you think? What's so unusual about that? I'll tell you. Glad you asked. What's unusual about that is every one of those tribes that have been mentioned have been warring and killing each other for centuries. Now, all of a sudden, they're all banding together to come against Joshua and Israel. They're all banding together to come against Joshua and Israel. And you know what? It's the end time, folks. And you can see this developing over in the Middle East where all these tribes, all these Sunnis and Shiites and Meites and Deites and Termites and all these other tribes are all over the place. And now all of a sudden they're all banding together. You know, they call them Al-Qaeda. They call them ISIS. They call them this. They call them that. They call them this. They're all fighting against who? They're all coming against Christianities and Christians. And they're coming. They're really not coming against us, folks. They're coming against the Lord. But these groups that have hated each other for years are all joining together. So although we're reading this tactic, it's not a new tactic. It's called a full frontal assault. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the evil one, Satan, does the strangest thing. He comes right at you. He comes right at you. 
Because why? Because you're not expecting it. You're expecting the sly sneak attack. You're expecting this, you're expecting that. He just comes right at you. That's what I see here. They must think that there's strength in numbers. They must think that they can outmaneuver these people. They put aside their differences and they come against the Lord. Again, I think we're seeing this in the last days. But what if? What if? Oh, what if? What if the church would put aside their differences and come against them? What if the church would put aside their differences and major on the major, the cross of Jesus Christ, and that alone, and come against evil? Oh, my. So this is a basic frontal assault. The enemy comes at it this way. He wants to meet us on the battlefield. He wants to outnumber us, and he wants to defeat us. They just don't know our God. They don't know who our God is. Greater is he in us than he who is in the world. Jesus had already overcome the world, he said, in John 16, 33. In John 16, 33, he says, In me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus doesn't really promise peace. He offered it. He said, you may have peace in me. A person cannot have peace unless they're outside of Jesus Christ. If you're outside of Christ, you're not going to find it. But many of us who are in Christ are struggling to find it. We're struggling to find it. Christ is the way to peace. There's no other peace in any place else. We read in Romans 5 that been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.14, Jesus made a way for us to have peace with others. He is our peace. He's broken down the wall, the separation wall between us. In the world, we're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. He made the promise of tribulation. It's funny, he said, you may have peace, but you're going to have tribulation. We become Christians, we may bring fewer problems into our lives, but we'll definitely have problems. When we understand this, it takes away any false hope. Sometimes struggling Christians often hope for the day where they will laugh at temptation and there'll be one victory after another. And that may be true, but I got news for you. When you come out of a trial victorious, there's usually another one waiting for you to go into. It's life. It's what we do. I don't know what current area that you're struggling in right now, but it'll pass away. But then there'll be another territory for you to conquer. There'll be another territory in your life that God wants to conquer and show you wonderful things. The victorious Christian looks ahead. The victorious Christian looks ahead. Be of good cheer, Christ said. I've overcome the world. And here he proclaims the truth of his victory. This statement is spoken at the shadow of the cross. Because when he made this exact statement, Judas was betraying him. When he was making these exact statements to the, to the disciples, Jesus was out betraying them. He knew what lay before him. He knew what was going to happen. But yet he says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And when we know that, we can be of good cheer. We can have peace because he is the foundation of our peace. He becomes in control. And I love that. For so many years in my life, I was in control. And boy, did I make a mess of it. Boy, did did I make a mess of it. My gosh. Now that he's in control, and the times that I allow him to be in control, the mess isn't so great because he's wonderful. I have to admit there are times when I still take control back and end up in a mess again. He never abandons me. He constantly loves me, and he constantly sees me in victory, and I can be in good cheer. So they have a full frontal attack. 
it's useless, it's hopeless, because God is on their side. God is on the side of Israel. But they know that they're trying their best. This is what Satan does. Again, let me be clear. Just like these tribes coming against Israel really knew it was hopeless because of the God of Israel, Satan knows coming against you is hopeless because of what Christ did on the cross. But we need to believe that. Too many times we fall for the deception, and that's where we're going now. Let's look at 3 through 6. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him of the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. A new scheme Satan comes up with. The old alliance. Let's make an alliance. Let's make an alliance with the world. I call it compromise. Let's make a compromise with the world. Look at the words used here. Look at the words used to describe the scheme. Sly and clever, craftily. Pretender. We know that Satan is a counterfeiter. Satan is a counterfeiter. And we studied Revelations. We know that there will be a counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. We know that Satan is the master of counterfeit. He pretends to be something that he's not. He's a deceiver and he shows false evidence. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 is simply, they lie. They simply lie. Who's the father of all lies? Satan. They simply lie. To be a victorious Christian, you must be aware of Satan's tactics. And if you read here, I feel like I'm reading Genesis' account of the garden. I feel like I'm reading the Genesis account of the garden when the serpent came to Eve. Craftily, sly, has God really said you can't eat, uh, you know? It's the same thing. Pretending to be an angel of light when he's an angel of darkness. It's the same thing. And look at verses 7 through 13 now. Here's the lie of the Gibeonites. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? Where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. Let's stop there. Back in verse 3 it says, But when the inhabitants of Gideon heard what they had done in Jericho and Ai, why didn't they say that. It's all part of the deception. It's all part of the plan, folks. Think about it. If they said, oh, we heard about you, what you did in Ai and Jericho, Joshua was no dummy. He said, well, how could you have heard about that? You must be very close because news those days didn't travel that fast. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all that other kind. It takes a while for news to get there. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you, but sadly, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to tune in again, though, to Pastor Dave's continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Joshua on a sure hope. In the meantime, we'd like to invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. In this busy world, setting time aside to study the Bible in depth is difficult. So we'd like to make that just a little bit easier. By subscribing to our podcast, you'll have sound biblical teachings sent right to your smartphone or your computer. What a great way to infuse your day with God's Word. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. and continue to walk through the Bible on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have childcare available, so bring your entire family. You can find out more at assurehoperadio.com or give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Joshua. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this fascinating book right here on Assure Hope.